You're about to hear a preview of Partially Examined Life supporter exclusive content. To learn how to get the whole thing, check out partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. Hey, this is your nightcap recording this on September 9th, 2022. Hey, fellas. Hey, Mark. Hey, Wes. So I don't know why we're having this debate because I think I already convinced Mark by Slack. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a debate. I think it's a, it's a conversation, right? Yes, that is my comfort zone of conversations, <laughs> exploratory. <laughs> Usually you discover you're just talking past each other. So what is it we're even talking about? You may have heard us talk about this a little in the abortion episode part one. The larger issue is representation, right? It's a, a key part of the civic religion that is wokeness today is you got to have all cultures represented in all entertainment products. But the focus, you know, the thing that we actually have to care about, it doesn't really matter if all of us agree about this in general, but is with this podcast in particular. And so this came up. I thought this was a great way to just really focus the debate. What happened was you trolled me on Slack. You did a little drive-by shooting. You're like, it would be absurd not to have a woman on the uh, abortion, abortion episode. Yep. And I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> like, now I'm going to have to sit and try and write about this and think about this. But I think, why, why don't we start with, when you say, and I think because many listeners will have this intuitive feeling as well. And even I have it to some extent, you know, as I started to think about it. Let's try and articulate all the reasons for why it would be absurd to not have a woman as a guest on a show, which basically is an ethical debate, not a debate, but a conversation about the ethics of abortion. Sure. And let's start with this particular case. And then we can expand out to episodes about racism and policing and like other things that we've actually done, some of which have had members of the representative group, some of which have not. I want to let Dylan start. What do you think about this? You know, abortion in particular, is it a woman's issue? Is having a woman helpful, necessary, not actually necessary for us, but optically necessary, any of the above? I think those are all different questions. I think that there are simple, intuitive reasons why you would at least think it's a sensible thing to want to have a woman as part of the discussion, or at least think about that fact, given that a centerpiece of abortion has to do with milieu of questions regarding women's reproductive rights. Women carry babies. Women are the ones that would be to first order, the ones centered on the question of choice or not choice, stuff like that. That, that. There's a big portion of it, that ethical debate that involves constraints on women. And so I think that you would, in a sort of intuitive way, think that, oh, it's a sensible thing. So I think, you know, someone might come along and a friend said this to me because I was trying to describe this, my position to her. And she talked about how personal it feels and I think to some extent how angry it makes her. I think what I got out of that is the idea is that, look, it's women who can experience the harm involved in being forced to bring an unwanted pregnancy to term. And by women, we mean biological women. By men, we're going to mean biological men. Whatever I'll take the I'll take the the email me if you if that bothers you. It's a comment of the past five years. Ten years ago, you would not. Yeah, but that would have been interesting so, if we had a trans woman. Would that represent? Anyway, I don't want to no, distract no, us. Not, we don't have experience. We don't have the time for that. But you know, so they can experience the harm 
of being forced to bring an unwanted pregnancy to term and the harm of actually just having to fear that, you know, if abortion is illegal, then there's the fear of being forced. You know, there's an oppression inherent in just having to have that fear and having one's behavior constrained. Thinking back to some of our abortion papers, it's women who have to experience, who have to live with that fear or cease being sexual beings altogether until they're ready to procreate. So the argument goes, even if men can understand that, the fear of having to raise and support an unplanned child, they can't really imagine the experience of having their bodily autonomy impinged upon in that way. They, they can in other ways, but by the kind of quasi-alien creature that is the fetus in this circumstance and the quasi-alien creature that is the state, it means not just having to make sacrifices in terms of one's aspirations, in terms of the physical health, but mental health as well. The issue is personal for women in a way that it cannot be personal for men. And so it would be insane to have a public conversation about the subject that does not include women who can give voice to the lived experience of such fears. That, I think, is the beginning of the argument for this position, which I don't buy, by the way, but I'm trying to give the strongest representation of it. That's the intuitive reason why you would say, yes, it's sensible to at least think about including a woman. And I won't repeat the version of what Wes said, but I think that that's it. So then Wes's response, since you tried to give my position or then I'll try to give Wes's position is, well, if we have a woman, what kind of woman? Which woman? Is it a pro-choice woman? Is it a pro-life woman? There are plenty of pro-life women around. Uh, if we got one of those, would that satisfy the critics who, you know, want, no, because what they want and what I want is to have somebody who represents the liberal position that I already have and can sanctify it with their identity so that we don't actually have to objectively debate things is clearly way and it can be there can be this emotional component relying on lived experience which is something that cannot be argued against specifically and really that just clouds the waters not that we profoundly should not have a woman on but it is not necessary we can talk about these arguments many of them are written by women they're often taught in university courses by men or by women probably the students don't say oh philosophy teacher who's a man you shouldn't even be teaching this. You shouldn't be reciting these arguments because you can't possibly understand. No, because we're in a situation where we have women who will give us feedback. We're reading women. There are, there are women involved. And what we do on this podcast is evaluate whether arguments are good or not. And it doesn't require any particular identity to do that. And of course, members of the same identity group are not going to have the same opinions on them. So it really is kind of irrelevant. I think that the strong version of the argument is really at the end of what you just said, which is there's a distinction between you have, on the one hand, the fact that there are, in any given identity, there are going to be a spectrum of points of view on it. And there doesn't seem to be a good criteria. The, the identity itself isn't a good criteria for trying to figure out whether you want a given person on that conversation, unless it's to sanctify a particular position and imbue it with the features of that identity, which happens in politics all the time, right? You know, where you find, you know... A black uh, conservative, right? Exactly. To, to, it's exactly right. So that's where we got to that. Well, neither of those are very good criteria. So we have these two things. One, the intuitive sense that there's something sensible about having somebody that's of the, I'll call it the affected identity that especially for these instances of ethical dilemmas or legal dilemmas or cultural dilemmas that affect those groups in particular. It's something sensible about having a person of that identity on there, but that's not a sufficient filter. This is where we get to the other version of yeah. Wes's argument, which is that 
we need to be picking people who are thoughtful. And then I take Wes as saying, thoughtfulness <laughs> is the most important feature of having someone talk about this, somebody who has been thinking about it, reflective about it, stuff like that. And that may or may not include somebody who has that particular identity. My main point is actually something a bit different. Okay. Because I, I think you guys are definitely recounting things I have said, but someone might come along and say, look, this is an ethical debate. There's a right and wrong answer, and it doesn't really depend on anyone's lived experience, any particular person's lived experience. What the answer to the debate is, we can determine that rationally. And that's not quite right, right? Lived experience is relevant to ethical questions because ethical questions involve the concept of harm. And if men can't really fully experience the fear of carrying an unwanted pregnancy to term, we need someone to at least report that to us, right? Or if we can't empathetically grasp that without someone telling us. But my point is, and likewise, if we think there's such a thing as the lived experience of women, quote unquote, or if we think there's such a thing as the feminine experience and that it has some bearing on the answer to ethical questions, you could sketch out a position where it has a bearing, even if it doesn't lead everyone to be pro-choice, you could sketch out a more sophisticated position where you can account for that. But my point is the lived experience of any one particular person is actually not all that helpful. So the intuition recognizes that the discourse needs lived experience inputs. What the confusion is, is that the reason to have a guest on the show is for that input. We're not sociologists and journalists, right? We wouldn't waste a panel spot by saying, okay, I, I guess we don't really know what the feminine experience is, the lived experience of woman is. Let's just randomly select a woman on so we can have her be a specimen of sorts, so we can study that as like a sociologist or a journalist. That's not what we're, we're doing. We're actually having arguments and discussions that are focused on insights. So for instance, here's another way to think about this. One might say that it's be crazy to have a panel about the Russian experience and Russian history and Russian culture. That was all just American historians, let's say. Of course, that's not crazy. That happens all the time. And it's not even clear there are advantages to having Russians on, right? To people who know the culture from the inside, but there are also disadvantages. What if every Russian historian were a virulent nationalist, for instance? So when like Timothy Snyder, I saw a talk with him on YouTube and the Ukrainian woman got up to ask him a question about Ukraine and he lectured her about Ukraine. No one would think that's absurd for an American to lecture Ukrainian about Ukraine because he's an expert. Now, part of being an expert means having access to those, all those lived experience inputs, but you need access to the lived experience of lots of people. And that goes even for my own relationship to masculinity, for instance, right? It's not enough for me or Americanness. It's not enough for me to characterize the American experience by saying, oh, let me just draw on my autobiography. The American experience is big. It means lots of things. It includes the African-American experience. It includes lots of individual experiences. What I have to be good at is not autobiography and not jumping into my own lived experience, generalize about it. I have to be good at thinking about the lived experience of other people. And I'm in that predicament with respect to masculinity, with respect to Americanness, in the same way I'm in that predicament with respect to femininity. To understand that experience and be an expert about it means to think about the experience of lots of people, not my own experience. Yeah, so I guess I would qualify my characterization as not just thoughtfulness, but knowledgeableness about it and the ability to translate that knowledgeableness into a conversation. I mean, there's a way in which, to me, this issue, the reason it feels like an issue is because of the political baggage that goes along with these different ethical questions or the ethical and political baggage that comes along with it. We would not 
bat an eye about the notion of A, the observation that musicians are often not the people to talk about music. If you just pull a musician off the street out of an orchestra pit or a rock musician, the likelihood of them being able to talk about music effectively is pretty low and much less talk about music in general. And the same thing is also the case that you could have someone or baseball. Well, let's have Tony Soprano on to talk about masculinity. Hey, yes. Tony, give us a fuck Simone de Beauvoir. She's not a man. Let's yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Or, you know, a baseball player who can hit 300 home runs, but can't tell you how to hit a home run. And in fact, it's the batting coach who could tell you more about hitting a home run who can't hit a home run. I'm making them trivial because they seem to be uncontestable to me, is that there's a distinction between being able to do something, understand something as lived experience, to be able to own that. And there might even be a thing like expertise in terms of know-how that is completely private, that you can't even communicate it. I know how to run fast, but I can't explain how to run fast. You could have a discussion. Well, do you really know how to run fast, even though you can run the race faster than everybody else? Is that really knowledge? There's a whole that to whole discussion. To me, that's where this sort of falls into, right? And so you want to combine, there is something also true about the intuitive thing. That if I want to talk about baseball and what it means to be an excellent baseball player, I probably first think about talking to baseball players, <laughs> right? But that by itself is not going to be enough of a criteria to make that decision. I think this is the same kind of thing. See, I've been silent for 10 straight minutes, but I think this entire line that you guys have been going on is a straw man, right? Is the argument against affirmative action that, oh, if you're engaged in affirmative action, then you're getting somebody that's less talented, that's less. But of course, of course, if you're trying to have minorities represented or oppressed groups that's on not your the thing, point I'm, I'm hold on, hold on. I let you guys talk. Of course, you want to have somebody who is knowledgeable, who has relevant expertise. For our show, we don't necessarily, I think thoughtfulness, what Dylan said, is right on the money. We don't look for experts for every given thing. It could be that there are some topics that are so sensitive, like the indigenous philosophy one, which was really at the top of my mind, that's such a politically sensitive area that just merely finding somebody, as we did, a white guy who was interested, who had studied this stuff, who seemed to know as much as anybody we could find that would talk to us about this. You know, that that was not enough, that we really should have gotten, you know, an actual academic in that area and sort of had it be a different kind of episode than we usually do, because I kind of like getting, you know, if we're doing one on masculinity, I kind of like getting Joe Soprano, you know, somebody who, you know, has opinions, you know, so we can sort of consider those partially using them as a fellow discoursant, you know, that we're being thoughtful with, but also kind of as a subject, as you were saying, so that having somebody from the relevant group, not even being able to tell about, of course, if you you know about your own experience, but you also have, because you're in a group, you know the experience of a lot of other people that you associate with. So when Lawware was on the racism one for the first time, he was talking about how like his old uncles were super paranoid about that they were still living in the 60s. No, that's not central to our analysis. Like, I don't know if that kind of informal know-how really beefs up the intellectual value of what we're doing here, but it certainly makes it feel better. It gives us a little extra insight. I put this more in a, that would be kind of nice to have somebody from this group in here. We don't technically need, especially if we're, again, reading somebody who's talking about this and we're evaluating their work so that the person we're reading, they're the person that's really on display. If we were really just reading a white guy talking about there might be exceptions to this. I would have to think hard about this. 
you know, John Stuart Mill wrote one of the most famous things on women's rights when this was still getting going. And that would be a important thing for us to read. And given that it was about, you know, women are equal and they should have the right to vote. Those are uncontroversial enough. And our experience is removed enough from the people of that time. I think we all guys could discuss that paper by a guy about women's issues in that particular case, just fine. But it, it just has to be evaluated on a case by case basis. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support. Thanks for listening. <laughs>